Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. This is the text where we're going to camp out today. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. After thinking through the um, songs, I, I just was thinking, you know, we are blessed. We are really blessed. We don't deserve the place we stand. We don't. We, we couldn't earn the gifts we've been given. Uh, as recipients of God's grace, we are blessed. Do you agree with me? Do you recognize that? Do you, can you own that this morning? Can, just say it with me. I am blessed. I am blessed. That's right. I mean, and here's the beauty of it. As we read this passage, as, as Genesis read this passage, the hits, they just keep coming because the blessing just continues to wash out over us. Because God didn't just give us gifts. He didn't just say, well, here they are. I, I, I hope you figure out what your life should be about. I hope you, you, you get some understanding of what I want from you. He, he gave us more than that. But he, he gives us in his word, he gives us instruction that, that helps us understand what He wants from us. And really, that's what this passage today defines for us. It helps us see. I mean, have you ever really thought about that? What does God want from you? What does He have? What does He expect from you or for you? What's His will for your life? What's His ultimate overarching goal? What's His expectation of people that have been so blessed, so mightily blessed by him. What does he want from you? I, I think, I think, knowing most of you the way I do, I, I think I could say this with confidence, that we all have goals and desires and expectations of our life. I started doing this when I was a kid, when I was a little kid. I wanted to be at that next stage, you know, just to rush through, just to push through to the next stage. When I was a, when I was a kid, I really wanted to be an adult. I thought, man, those adults have it made. Nobody tells them what to do. They get to they get to do what they want. They spend money. They got their own money, you know. They get to they get to just live life however they feel, and it's just carefree. And that's what it looked like, you know, from being a little kid. Little did I know that you never get out of a place where somebody's telling you what to do, and you never go get to a place where there's not pressures and expectations and stresses. And and you know, one of my one of my, one of the things I remember looking at as a child, I I remember looking at my parents. This is gonna. This isn't. Well, it might sound funny, but I remember as a really small child looking at my parents and thinking they were perfect, and I was really screwed up because I was always getting spankings or grounded or in trouble. But I never saw that happen to my parents, so I was like, they got it. They, they're they've arrived. You know, they they're there. Something happened along the way. My eyes were opened. Obviously, I grew up just a little bit, and and I realized that becoming an adult and rushing into adulthood wasn't wasn't really the answer. So I quit setting my, setting my sights so far. So like in junior high, 
I just really wanted to get into high school. As a freshman, I didn't care where I was. I just didn't want to be a freshman. Really, let's just get to so- be a sophomore. Then as an upperclassman, as a, as a 17 and 18-year-old guy, just to be really honest, all I cared about was getting the minor stamp off my license so I could buy my own beer. That was, that was my progression. That was what I longed for. I know it sounds silly, but it's true. Don't act like you weren't with me. You guys felt the same way. And then, and then here's the thing is that something happened again. There, 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 something tra- changed in me. Something transformed in me. And my goals began to change. And what it, what, what it was was God's grace. I didn't become a believer until I was late in life, until I was about 20. I was 20, just about to turn 21. In fact, it's really ironic because I was just about to lose my minor stamp when I became a Christian. And so all of a sudden, buying beer for myself and all my minor friends didn't seem like such a wise idea. Not that I have a problem buying it for myself. That's not the issue. But buying it for all those that were still underage, that, that was my plan. God showed me. But my, my, my goals changed. My desires changed. Something in me, foundational, formational, something motivational changed. I didn't really get it then. I didn't grasp it. But what was happening was exactly what was happening and what Paul is describing in this passage. You see, I think the reality is most of us have goals and desires and, and ways that we measure our movement and successions in life. How we measure achieving milestones and achieving success and maturity in our life. I think if we were to sit down and talk, many of them are similar. Many of them would be different. But I wonder, I just wonder, and I've, I've thought about this in my own life. I, I think about it constantly and I think about it for our church. How many of us really stop and ask the question, what does Jesus want for us? You see, what is his measure of us? How does he determine us whether we're successful or mature or, or whether we've arrived at something or not or whether we've passed a milestone or not? What are his milestones? You see, I, I, I really have come to believe now having been a Christian for 20 some years and having to learn a lot, a lot of hard lessons along the way. And having to endure my own stupidity and the struggles of my own flesh by His grace and with His grace. I've come to realize that these milestones are more important than my own milestones. You see, the reality is is that getting a minor stamp off a driver's license so that I can buy my own beer, that proves nothing. That's not what makes me a man. Being able to vote, being able to force someone to hear my own opinion, being able to being able to do things to impress people with my own skills and abilities. That's not the measure of success. It's not the measure of maturity. It's something much different. And really we see it right here in God's Word today. You see, Jesus tells us not just what He wants from us, what He expects for us, what, he, what, what steps He expects us to, to move through, what He looks for us to grow up into, what, what He expects us, I mean, ways of, uh, for, for us to know what it is to be mature Christians. He doesn't just tell us what that looks like, but He tells us how He ensures that it happens, how He makes sure that we get there. Again, being blessed by Him. 
because the reality is I think if we were left to our own devices, we'd probably just get satisfied with getting a minor stamp off of a driver's license so that nobody second guesses when we go to buy our alcohol. It may not be that. That may be a metaphor or analogy for what it is that you desire. But in comparison to what Jesus has for you, what he longs for you, that's the importance and the weight of it. His words, he tells us. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, this is Jesus ensuring you that you and I can get to maturity. That you and I can become the people He's always intended for us to become. And in, in, in part, in part, that's Him giving grace. Giving grace to His people to serve you. And in part, that's Him giving grace to you to serve others. Listen, it's the first thing I want you to take away from this today. The first point of the, the message, really. Jesus gave gifts of grace so that His people would continue to be nourished by His grace. It might sound, well, that sounds kind of obvious. Thanks, Captain Obvious, for pointing that out. But I think it's, I think the reality is not just obvious, that it is profoundly important for us to get this. Imperative that we recognize this. The, the letter of Ephesians, Paul's words in Ephesians have already told us that we are born of grace. What that means is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're sitting in this room and you have trusted in Him, you are the result of His unmerited, undeserved good work on your behalf. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited, undeserved good work on your behalf. You are the result of that. Your life is a result not of your works, not of what you deserve, not of what you can earn, not of how you perform, not of all your skills and abilities, not of your wisdom and not of your not of your craftiness and not of all the things that you can line out on a resume to impress people. You are the result of grace. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. You see, the idea is, is, is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who is trusted in Him, you have received something that's converted you, that's changed you, and the only thing that will nourish you in that the only thing that will mature you in that, the only thing that will grow you up and, and make you like a, an infant that grows from being a, a, a baby dependent upon everyone to a, to a fully uh, functioning adult who then is able to turn around and return those, return those efforts and to give back out and to serve others. The only way you come from this place to this place is being fed His grace. And He gives it to His people to make sure that you can feed on it. He gifts His leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. We're not going to go into a lot of depth here. We did that last week. We talked about that last week. 
please go listen to the sermon if, if you'd like to hear it. You may not agree with my interpretation of it. You may not agree with, with the, the, um, the way I define those different giftings. The reality is, as I've studied, there's not very many people who do. When it comes to spiritual gifts, man, there is a lot of discussion among theologians. But here's the one thing we all agree on. These are gifts of God's grace for us to bear, for us to hold, for us to, to have, and for us to share for the good of one another. Every one of us agree on that. We might say it slightly differently, but it's a reality. Every, every theologian I've read and studied, everyone agrees on those things. They may define the words differently. They may, they may look at things a little semantically different, but the reality is they recognize these come from Jesus and He gave them so that His body, His people, those babes in Christ could be fed grace and grow into being toddlers and those toddlers could, to, could feed on grace to grow into being children um, to, to, to move from being children and, and grow into adolescence and, and, and being a teenager in Christ to growing into full maturity, all the while feeding and being fed on His grace. And as you receive it, being able and willing to begin then at some point to begin to hand it out and to share it with others so that, so that you turn around and you offer the same grace and the, and the same thing and, and, and that, that, that each person needs. And, and these people are growing up and they're being fed by your grace that you've been given by Jesus. That's His plan for His church to ensure that we move to maturity. And it's imperative we get this. It's absolutely imperative. Because if we offer anything but grace to one another, if all we bring is ourselves and our and our oh, all we got is baggage. The only thing we have to offer one another is the grace that He's given us to offer one another. You see that? But that becomes very important. Because this is the way He designed. This is the way He determined. This is the way that He did this. He gave this. He planned for, for the church to be the ministers. He intended for all of us to be serving one another in different ways. He did this. This is His plan. It's imperative that we get this because until we see this happen, until we as a people of God serve one another by the grace that He's given us, We'll never see the, the progression that He's called out for us. We'll never grow to maturity. Now there will come a point He'll return. We'll be given glorified bodies. And all will be made right. See, this comes with responsibility. Because this is His plan. Because this is what He wants for His people. It is absolutely vital, brothers and sisters. Saints, Christians, it is absolutely vital that you don't come to church and be a pew plopper or be a be a, a, a consumer or to be someone who just sits here and and marinates in what God is doing. See, it's absolutely vital that you take the grace that He's given you as He's given it to you in the measure He's given it to you and share it with the people around you. Honestly, to do any different, it's just another demonstration of a lack of maturity 
But I think it goes further than that. It's actually an act of disobedience. So if you're a member of this church and you're not serving this church and you're just taken from this church, hear me. Hear me. Strive to graciously, as graciously as I can, confront you in this. It's time to start serving in grace and not just sucking up grace. See, I love you. And I want for you to attain, to achieve with us the goals that Jesus has set out for us. And the only way that will ever occur is if we as a people, a, a, a people of God, begin to use the grace He's given us to grace one another. It's almost like silly string. Man, I thought about this morning. I almost stopped and got some on the way so I could spray you all with silly string. I mean, imagine it. We all get a can. And it's all different colors. And we get to walk around with this can and we get to spray one another with this, with this silly string of grace. We get to. It's not something we have to do. We actually get to do it. It sounds more fun when you say you get to spray one another with silly string. But the reality is it's, it's no different. You've got this great thing that's going to bless others, that's going to change them, that's going to make them laugh and smile. It's going to serve them in times of need and struggle. It's going to help them stand up under the pressure and weight of life. And you have it. And we need it. And we're responsible for this. What does God want for you? Well, let me, let me ask you first, what has God done in you? I don't know what His specific plan is. I don't know how He expects you to, what He has plans for you, whether you achieve some American dream or whether you gain tons of credentials or whether you whether you have tons of money in a bank account. And I don't know specifically what those plans are for you. But I know what He longs for you. And see, He continues as, as He shares with us how He intends us to act and to move and to serve one another. He tells us then what it should look like as we do that. And that's the second thing. He says it after He says that He gave the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the teachers evangelist shepherds and teachers for the work of the ministry. After he does that, he then begins to break out for us. Paul begins to show us what should happen in light of that. What Jesus' plan is for His people as we begin to do that. And so these begin to be, these, as much as anything, these are marks of maturity. They're marks of identification of the church as we grow from infancy to maturity. See, Jesus gave us gifts of grace that we might grow into unity, know Him intimately, and reflect His beauty. It's an ongoing process. He says, until that happens, until that we... I don't ever want to use this stand again. Too light. <clears throat> Just saying, take note. He says, let me just read it. Because I'm going to mess it up. It says in verse uh, to equip the saints, verse 12, we'll pick it up there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until this is an ongoing work. It doesn't stop until this is something you're responsible to be doing, I'm responsible to be doing, until 
we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He gave us these gifts that we might grow into unity, that we might know Him intimately and then reflect His beauty. We're going to look at each three, all three of these stages pretty closely here. I just want you to walk through them with me. Let's, let's deal with the unity of the faith. He says we're, we are going to serve, we're called to serve, we're responsible to serve until we have attained the unity of faith. Well, how, what, what is that? How do we know? What, what does that look like? I mean, we're each unique. I, we did this last week, and I asked you to consider the people around you and the people in this room together. Even in this room, we're, we're predominantly one race. There's a couple of different ethnic heritage differences, but, but for the most part, we're predominantly one race. But despite that, we're very diverse people. I, I share a very different background from you. I have very different experiences. I have very different perspectives. I have very different desires. I'm a unique person. You are unique people. But beyond that, you have been given a unique gifting, a unique gift set in which to serve God's people. So how do we, how do we figure out unity alongside diversity? Well, I just want to go back, back to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. It says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Listen, unity in the church is not uniformity. It's not all of us looking exactly the same. It's not all of us dressing exactly the same, feeling exactly the same, thinking exactly the same. But the result, it, it is the result of God's one message of grace giving birth to His one people of faith. We, from our very diverse backgrounds, our very diverse perspectives, our very diverse senses of humor, our very diverse tolerances of struggle and suffering, our very diverse perspectives are brought together in one faith by one Lord under one God. We are one people. You see, under the essentials, the, 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 the very central truths of the Christian faith, we are united not just in identity, but also in purpose and in mission. We're not looking to be uniform. We don't all have to show up and wear, um, you know, I don't know, what were school children uniforms, you know, with the, 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 the blue dicky pants and the blue sweater vest and the, the red tie and the white shirt. And then the girls have those, those skirts that are pleated all the way around you know, and, the, and the white socks that go up to their knees. We're not looking for that. We're not striving for that. We're striving to come unified, to grow into this unity of faith where we believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Where we believe in one Spirit who gifts all of us with different abilities, who invade, or not invades, but indwells all of us. I guess in some ways He invades our life, but He indwells us. He lives in us. One God and Father who not only created us, but now sits in authority over us. See, that's who we are. We're no longer white and black, Hispanic and Asian. We're no longer male and female. That's what Galatians teaches us. It's not about our identity in our physical form. It's our identity in our place in Christ. I am a saint. You are a saint. We're unified. Even though we're diverse. 
even though we have very different things about us, we're unified in one faith, having been given birth by our one God. But here's the reality. Some of you, some of us, are so try- we're, we're so busy trying to be parts of different bodies, parts of different groups. That could be your work. I mean, I know you've got to go to work. You're going to spend a lot of time there. I get that. You need to. But some of you feel like you need to belong there. Some of you find it in your family. If my family's okay, well, then everything else is okay. And I'd rather, really rather belong to my, my brothers and sisters and my mother and father than, than, than belong to the church. Some of you, it's your political party. I mean, there's any kind of agenda you can set. Any kind of hobby you can hold. Some of us are so busy trying to be part of this body or or other bodies that we don't have time to be part of this body. But can a hand be a part of more than one body? Can, Can a leg belong to two people? Only if you're Siamese twins, and we know that's not natural, not normal. If you have Siamese twins, and I, I recognize, I'm not trying to be hateful, I'm just saying, we recognize there's a problem there. The way God's designed it is each part of the body belongs to one body. And here's the thing is that, that, that we are responsible We are necessary to one another so that we can give one another grace, so that we can spray one another with these cans of grace, so that we quit desiring to be a part of another body, so that we can stand together united in faith. No longer looking to be satisfied at work, no longer looking for satisfaction from fallen families, no longer looking for satisfaction in political agendas or some hobby. That we're supposed to be so busy spraying one another with grace that we don't want to look anywhere else and we don't have time to look anywhere else. But some of us, some of us, you're like, I'm just, I'm busy in the church. I'm busy in the church. I'm doing stuff. I've got, I've got plans for God. And you come with so much self-confidence that we don't get to experience the grace God's given you, but we, we have to deal with and settle for your limited ability. Some of you are very skilled. Some of you have great talent. But if you stand in a place where you all that's all that, that's all you offer, you will never make an eternal difference in the lives of this church. You see, we've got to eat grace. We've got to be nourished by grace. And that only comes through leaning more on Jesus than on ourselves. It's hard for people to hear. This is hard for me to hear. I, I had a guy, man, he just, I felt like every time I talked to him, this is all he had to say to me. And I was like, eh. I just felt beat up by him. I felt pushed down by him. I felt held back by him. He was a coach and mentor for me. And, and I have grown to appreciate him beyond many others. Because he wouldn't let me settle to come to you this church with my limited, finite ability. But he pushed on me 
to come to you in, in a place of dependence on God standing in His blessed goodness. Because only that will feed you what you need. That's not just true for me. See, that's true for you too. You see, some of you on the other side of that, on the, or on the other side of that problem, you're not overconfident in yourself, but you're really underconfident in Christ. And so rather than being bold and courageous because of your self-confidence, you won't do a courageous thing because you don't trust Jesus enough to do what He's promised He'll do. See, you sit there and just don't think you have anything to offer. You beat yourself up. You don't need somebody to tell you you can't do something. Because you've already told yourself you're worthless and you can't do anything. You've already decided that I just don't have anything to offer. You're halfway there. You don't. But the work of God in you is meant to be offered through you. You see, in both of these instances, in both of these instances, we need to be sharing grace. Because we've got to be coming to one another with God's goodness. We've got to be coming to one another, sharing His grace so that we can mature past this. These aren't, these aren't anything that are abnormal. I, I don't want you to think that you're alone in this. This is common, immature Christian stuff. This is common stuff that divides us. It's common stuff that separates us. It's common things. But as we share grace, as we share grace with one another, these things that divide us because we're trying to be a part of another body divide us because I don't really want to give you grace. I just want to give you what I can offer. I'd rather you just have me than what God's done in me. Divide us because you don't do anything. Those things that divide us will become weaker and weaker. And the unity that comes in Christ as we grace one another, as we just spray each other with the blessings and grace of God, it will bring us closer and closer. You see, this is a process. It's a, it's a movement from immaturity to maturity. And that's what He wants for us. He wants us to grow up united in Him. United in what He's doing. United for, for His fame and for His glory. Not only that, he also, he also calls out the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the second point that Paul makes in, in this list of milestones. He, he says that we should also demonstrate the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul's, he's already prayed that we know God, that we get to know His power and experience Him. And again, he comes and says it. He says that by this grace at work in us, we should get to know Christ, the Son of God. But listen, it's not just know about Him. The word is epinosis. There's gnosis, which is knowledge, which is like, I just know this. Like, like some people, you know, they, they, they just have like useless information floating around in their heads. You know, like, I don't know if you ever watch Pawn Stars. And I don't know if this guy really has this much trivial knowledge floating around in his head. But the guy on Pawn Stars that can just rattle stuff off from like the 1800s. And I, I just don't, I don't get that. I don't get, I don't, but, but that's knowledge. It doesn't really affect him. It's just stuff that's floating around in there. This is epinosis. It's an experiential knowledge. 
You see, knowledge of Christ doesn't necessarily equate to maturity in Christ. And this is a this is a this is a problem we we face in the church. This is a difficulty because if a person can come to to us and they can say, "Oh, well, I've got this view of harmatology or soteriology or eschatology. I I got this view of angelology. You name it." And you come and you start using all these big words about you know. Um, uh, I, I name some the doctrinal terms you know that we use when we're talking to one another, trying to make ourselves sound smart, like propitiation. How many people know what that means? I don't think we should be afraid to use it, but unfortunately, when we use it, if we don't explain it, most people are like, "I don't get I, what is that." But some of us, when we hear people talking like that, think, "Oh, that person is mature. That person, they really love Jesus." The reality is that person may just know a lot about Jesus, but not really know Jesus. See, here's the thing is I can teach anybody those words. We learn stuff all the time. We, I, you sit down with me and I can begin to teach you all of those words and you can feel really good about yourself. But until you begin to trust them and experience them, there's a drastic difference between the maturity and the knowledge of Christ. I, I knew this. I knew this kid years and years ago. He was he was a toddler. I, I mean, he was a big toddler, a big kid. He was like a year old and looked like about a four year old. I mean, this kid was huge, and he began to walk at about a year old, just like every other kid does. But because he was so big, it was that much harder for him to learn how to walk. You know, so like he was all over the place, bumping into stuff, knocking people down. Now, I mean, you put him in a room with other kids his age. He wasn't just a toddler. He was a toddler. You know, I mean, he was big and he'd knock him down. He'd fall on top of him. I was scared people get hurt. You know, this kid was huge. Well, here's that's the difference between someone who just has a lot of knowledge about Christ and someone who begins to learn to let that knowledge sink in a little deeper and he can experience it. But, you know, you know how that, you know how we grow past that? The people around us in the body of Christ spray us with their grace. And we spray others with the grace that God's given us. You see, then all of a sudden, what begins to happen is that we're no longer just exercising knowledge, but it's sunken into our hearts. I mean, it's the kind of knowledge that doesn't, it changes us. It changes us in the depths of who we are. It's like in the depths of our heart, in, the, in, in, in our motives, and in the, in the ways we think and in the ways we act. Our attitudes begin to change. You know how we get there? You know how we grow past a, a top-heavy kid that bounces off of everything and just uses his knowledge to make himself look big and tough? How we get past that? spraying one another with grace. We desperately need one another to do that. He doesn't just talk about the knowledge of God. He talks about the stat or the knowledge of the Son of God. He also talks about the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says we are to become like Him. We, we, we reveal the stature of Christ when our lives together reflect the scope of His nature. There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people who are going to look at the church and they're going to say, 
hypocrites, bigots, hate mongers. I can't believe they talk the way they talk and think the way they think. I can't stand them. There's always going to be those people. Jesus had plenty of those people. But when it becomes evident that what they're saying is not true because the nature of His people reveal the honest truth about who we are, There's nothing to worry about. But until the nature of His people reflect the scope of His nature and there's truth to hypocrisy and bigotry and hate and, and, and animosity, as long as that's true, we need one another spraying each other with His grace that we might move from immaturity to maturity. You see, these are the milestones. These are His measures of maturity. These are His measures of what His people should look like when they arrive. We should be unified in the faith. We should be um, intimately knowing, intimately in relationship, intimately experiencing Jesus. We should not just experience Him, but we should reflect Him the people around us should see Him in us. Until those things are true, until those things have happened, we've got work to be done. We've got grace to be shared. We've got service that needs to happen. You have a job and a vital role to do. You have a mission that needs to be accomplished. Until we have attained the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, let me just share with you quickly in closing how we can measure it along the way. How can we know all of our efforts are paying off? Because, you know, I mean, it's hard to keep... It's, it's hard to keep... A goal that's so far out of the reality. We've got a long way to go. I'm broken. I need your grace. You're broken. You need my grace and one another's grace. It's so hard to keep a goal that so, seems so distant. How can we see it taking place? How can we see the fruits of it being born out now? He doesn't leave us wondering. See, Jesus' gifts of grace give us Stability, unite truth and love, and bind us together in love. We're not going to go into these as deeply as I'd like to because we're running short on time, but just let me give you something about them. Jesus is a rock. This signifies stability. If every time someone says something bad about you, if every time someone does something to deceive you, if every time somebody says something untrue about you, or every time some teacher says something that makes you feel good, or every time someone says something that you want to hear that pumps up your ego, and all of a sudden you're running off to that thing, or you're going this way or that way, or, or you're like that little toddler who was bouncing off of all kinds of stuff. As long as you're like that, there's room for maturing. But I can assure you, if you are being graced by God's people and you are giving grace to God's people, you will see that shrink 
you see that lesson and you will see your life stabilized as time goes by. Because you you no longer will be standing on the sinking sand of the world's opinions or the sinking sand of your own desires and your own agendas. You will be standing on the rock that is Jesus. You see, we sang a song a minute ago, God undefeatable. I mean, He's not going to be shaken. He's not going to be undone. And what you should be seeing happen in your life as believers, moving from infancy to maturity, is you ought to be able to look back 10 years ago and see the difference in the, in, in the level of stability increase. You ought to be able to stand in a place next year and look back at your life right now and see you're more stable. Because that's how we know it's happening. If it's not happening, you might not be gracing people and people might might not be gracing you. Or maybe you've never received the grace of God. I don't know which it would be for you. But there's only one, one way, one thing you can do to get His grace and that's believe. There's only one thing you can do if you have His grace and you're not sharing it, you need to share it. And you need to put yourself in a place where you get to receive His grace from His people. But it's not just about, it's not just about stability. It's also about truth and love. He says that, that we're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. He says that we're not just are we not blown around by every wind of doctrine, but that we are able to speak the truth in love. Our world doesn't know how to do this. I guarantee you our world doesn't know how to do it. It's, it's absolutely impossible outside of the grace of God to do this. See, our world thinks, I don't want to tell them the truth because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I love them and so I'm just going to lie to them. Don't call it love if you're not willing to live in truth. It's not the same. You're afraid of them. Or you're afraid of losing their relationship. You're not loving them. But also, some people, ah, they're so so bold. In fact, I, I've known some people that are just proud of the fact they'll say anything that comes to their head. And they don't care how it affects you. So they'll say, say things to you that could be hurtful, could be harmful, and they don't give a rip what it does to you. Truth without love is awful cruel. It's a hammer to beat somebody with. But love without truth is a lie. You see, in the grace of God, we are able to bind these together. We're able to see them work and function together. You couldn't do that before. And you may not do it well now. But as you begin to mature, you should see it able to begin to take place in your life. It's how you know that you are being graced by and gracing God's people. And finally, the last thing he, he, he points out is that we are bound together in love, that we're built up in love. Grace is the sustenance for our life. It's the, it's the way that we're fed. It's the food that we eat. It's the necessity for life. But love is the stitch that binds us together. 
It's the strength. It's the sinew. It's the tendon. It's the, it's the thing that holds our, our muscles to our skeleton and our, our, our skin to our muscle. It's the thing that holds us together. It's the great and sacrificial, effective, uh, uh, proactive, sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. This love acted out for one another, by one another. You see, when you begin acting like this, you'll begin to recognize that you're moving from infancy to maturity. And it should be happening in growing measure. These are the markers of maturity and success. This is what Jesus wants for His people. When He looks at us, He's not going to measure us first on our accomplishments, I don't think. I think He's going to measure us on these milestones. I think he's going to call you a man or a woman of God, a child of God, first based on his grace. But he's going to call you mature in your faith based on these. How are you doing? Are you really busy about a lot of stuff? Let me encourage you to get busy about what God would have you be busy about. Let's pray. Father, you're good and you're gracious, you're loving. And we've said it time and time again, we've sung the words, we know, we know that you paid a price for us, a high price for us, that you suffered for us. That we would be given this, we know as a blessing now. God, would would you just help us? Help us own it. Help Help us hold it. Help us grapple with it and gain some understanding in it. Help us begin to sense the great work you've done in us, the great power you've given us, that we might turn and share it with those around us. God, would you help to measure ourselves in light of your standards and not our own? To strive to achieve your milestones before we achieve our own? Would you help? Would you help us be a people that are so driven for your mission and for your purposes in this world that we'd be willing to set ours aside? That we'd be a people so given to seeing your kingdom strengthened and your kingdom advanced. That we quit giving effort to building our kingdom. Now, would you, would you bring us to be a people that, that so, so trust in you and so recognize your work through your son that we are bound together, that just as nothing separates us from your love, that we would recognize that nothing separates us from Your love as we're together. That we are one in You. God, would You would you work in us and strengthen us to know that we, we get to know You. We get to walk with You. We who, who should be distant, who should be condemned, who should be separated, we get to know You. God, would You do that in us? 
God, would you fulfill your purpose of making us into the likeness of your Son that together, as we stand together, that we get to see Jesus. We love you. We thank you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.